Hello everyone, my name is Steph, if you're um, new here, I'm one of the pastors here and uh, I'm going to be preaching today from the book of Ephesians so if you have a Bible with you, please turn to Ephesians chapter 1 we started our series in Ephesians three or four weeks ago now we're going to work through the book, um, we're not going to be in a rush we're going to take it, um, going to take it deliberately, uh, slowly so that we can uh, get all that we can from it um, people have said that this book of the Bible is um, potentially the most majestic bit of literature in the whole of scripture and um, uh, is the sort of the climax, the pinnacle of the Apostle Paul's writing some of the things that he speaks about are, um, are sublime they're, they're beyond uh, um, what you might imagine someone could write and so we really do need not to just rush through this but to take our time with it um, what I want to do, before I read the Ephesians uh, chapter I just... Uh, passage. I want to read to you quickly from uh, a, a, a very unusual story in the book of Genesis that I will come back to towards the end, um, towards the end of the of the sermon. Uh, but I want to introduce it to you now, and it's the story about when um, uh, when Jacob um, has he's, he's he's one of the uh, he's one of uh, Abraham's had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob and Esau uh, twins, and. Um, Jacob uh, double-crossed his brother Esau and as a result had to leave home because he was, um, he, his brother was after him. And um, this is what happened. We're told um, Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones of the place he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. Um, and he dreamed and behold there was a ladder or a staircase set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold the angels of God were ascending and descending on it and behold the Lord stood above it and made these promises to Jacob Um, and then we're told in verse 16 Jacob awoke from his sleep and said surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it and he was afraid and said how awesome is this place this is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven and he called the place Bethel which means house of God so some of you may be familiar with that story but just bear that in mind and when we get towards the end um, hopefully um, we'll be able to tie some things in with that quite unusual story there about Jacob's dream of the angels ascending and descending on this staircase in this place called Bethel but we're going to now read um, Ephesians chapter 1 um, and we're going to read uh, from verses 3 to 14 we've done that the last few weeks because for, when Paul wrote it, it it tumbled out as one sentence um, he's typical of his style he, he says one thing which triggers a thought and then rather than um, rather than thinking well I know it's a new thought but I'll come back I'm, I'm on this track so I won't go there he goes there and then as he says that another thought comes and he goes there and so Paul's writings are often sometimes hard to follow even though they're quite logical but sometimes you need to step back and see that even though it's been a very logical argument he's, he's, his mind is constantly triggered by things and he, he goes off into those areas so verses 3 to 14 even though in our um, Bibles that it, it looks quite uh, how can I put it broken up commas and full stops and the like it's actually one sentence and he says this blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us 
in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth in him. We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So, what we've got there is almost a living illustration of what Paul's trying to communicate, that that our lives, those of us who are in Christ, have been crammed with blessing. This phrase, every spiritual blessing in Christ, every word matters, every word is vital, you take one out and you've lost something. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. And you get words like chosen, made holy, blameless, predestined, adopted, God's good pleasure, his purpose, his will, praise, redemption, forgiveness, lavish grace, wisdom, insight, mystery, fullness, blessing, 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 blessing. This is the description of the Christian. And uh, as we follow Jesus, we go through seasons where sometimes we feel cut and paired right back. There's no fruit on the vine. <laughs> you think, what happened? Uh, other seasons where you know, we're dancing on the mountaintops and you know, there's wonderful fruit on the vine. In both seasons, we are crammed with these blessings. In both seasons, this is the state of the Christian. This is God's intention. This is what. This is God's disposition. This word "bless" it means to speak well of. And what you find as you read through the Bible, you find that often there are these moments where these patriarchs, these fathers, they knew their time had come, and and all the children gather and they speak well of them. They speak these words, and these words have prophetic power. So when the words come, they they actually shape and they shape the destinies of these children. And, 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 and as you read through the Bible, you realise, wow, what was prophesied there, what was this spoken blessing, is working itself out. It's got power to it. Well, this is what's happening here. God is speaking these things over his people. If you're in Christ, this is what the Father is speaking over you, chosen, holy, blameless, adopted. I mean, it's extraordinary. This is this, and that's why we are taking our time here, because we really want to get into the, um, the, the full riches of all that's on offer. So Lena was brilliant last week looking at verse 8, which, well verse 7 and 8 talking about redemption through Jesus' blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Let me get verse 8, which is unusual, well it says, which he lavished upon us, and then it says, in all wisdom and insight. And because it's one sentence, no one's quite sure if Paul is saying this. That God lavished his, gra- his grace on us in all wisdom and insight. Or, in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will. Most of the commentators say that it's the latter. So this is what is being said here. So I'm going to read the last few words of verse 8, and then verse 9 and 10, which is today's sermon. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. So God has made known to us the mystery of his will by giving us all wisdom and insight. It's all free in Christ. This isn't something you attain to. It's something that happens to you as you are joined to Jesus in faith. God gives you all wisdom and insight so that you know the mystery of his will 
according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. If that sounds beyond your scope, give it 20 minutes, we'll get there. We trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to make these things clear in our hearts. God doesn't want us fuzzy. God doesn't want us groping around in the mist. That's where we were before, isn't it? We were groping around trying to figure out what life was for, why we're here, what's it all about. Through Christ, God has brought us out of that into a place where now we get to see. And we're no longer, we're no longer guessing, we're no longer um, in uncertainty. We know why we're here, we know what it's about. And um, so God has given us this wisdom and insight. Now there's something about these words in terms of their original use that it's a bit richer than that. What it, what it means is, is that it's not just that, you, that, that God's purpose is revealed to you, but it's, it's also this word insight carries with it this sense of appreciation. That when God shows us what he's about, we don't just understand it, we love it. And we say, yes, I'm in. God gives you that by his grace. So if you're here today and you're thinking, you know what, I'm excited about God, the purposes of God, and I want to know more, that's the grace of God in your life. He's done that. That's not because you're spiritual. It's not because you're you're that way. That is the grace of God on your life. He's done a work where he has revealed that it's all about Jesus and he has made that lovely to your heart. You've seen it and you've not just seen it, you've gone, of course. This is absolutely appropriate. It's all about him, not all about me. And your heart loves it. That's the grace of God. That's how God works in hearts. It's really a wonderful thing. And, this, and, and also we need to understand, this is part of God's blessing. Part of what gives us in Christ is that you get brought into the big picture. God says, I'm going to show you what I'm about. I'm going to show you my purpose for the world. And I'm going to show you it and make your heart love it. How? how? Yeah, you're in Christ. It's part of the blessings in Christ. It's, just your, it's yours. So, again, we're just aware of this incredible richness that we are under. And he describes it like this. He says, the mystery of his will. So you think, well, what is it? Well, we're going to get, we're going to, get to the... But first he describes it as, he's, he's made known the mystery of his will. Now, in the New Testament, this word mystery, it's really important you understand how it's used. Because, it, you know, the word mystery, it's, you know, it's kind of like, it makes you, oh, oh, you know, kind of like, I wonder if any of us could ever fathom it. Uh, in Paul's day, there were a lot of mystery religions around. And what had happened was is that you had to go through certain initiation rites and until you'd been in something for a few years and a bit longer and sworn some oaths and done some strange rituals, then you'd be let in on the knowledge. And, um, and then once you, had, once you knew it, you had to swear you would never pass it on. And these were very, very popular, these mystery religions. Um, and, and what you find in the New Testament is that actually some of the letters that are written are to combat an understanding of Christianity that is kind of that way. That it's like, well, yeah, there's Christianity, but then there's Christianity. Yeah? And when you've been around a while, then we'll take you to a darkened room, make you roll up one trouser leg, and do you know what? It, it all goes weird, right? No, no. The, Christianity is not a Gnostic religion. It is not a Gnostic religion. It is not, that is not, that Gnosis is the Greek word for knowledge. Um, what you will hear today is Jesus Christ proclaimed. That is the message. That's it. It is what it is. It is the deepest, widest, highest, broadest, most extraordinarily rich message you could ever hear. But the word mystery in the New Testament is talking about something which was previously hidden but has now been revealed. 
So it is like, boom! God has now disclosed it, this thing that for ages past people were not... Where, where is this thing headed? It has now been revealed. We are living in an extraordinary age. Here's how it works. Here's how you get to understand this uh, incredible mystery of his will. Jesus, I'll read you a few scriptures to help you understand how this thing works. Jesus says this. At that time, at a certain time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things, the the truths of the gospel, the truths of the kingdom, you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. There is something that has pleased the heart of God to reveal the almighty truth of Jesus Christ to the little children. The childlike. I'll read you a few more, just so you understand. This is a, this is a very, very common biblical thing. It's not just um, something that comes up every now and then. I'll read you from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 22. says, Jews demand signs. Gentiles seek wisdom. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ is enough. Later on in the same letter, in chapter 3, verse 18, Paul says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he's wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. If you've come today thinking, I get, I'm spiritual, I understand spiritual things, um, but you don't know the Lordship of Jesus in your life, my advice to you is this, become a fool today, that you might become wise. Allow, or allow all that you've accumulated and all that you've discovered out of your own ingenuity and out of your own uh, knowledge, allow it, just for a moment, to uh, be put to one side and hear about Jesus. And watch what the Lord does in your heart. I'll give you one more scripture on this. This is uh, Jesus saying something very similar again in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verse 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you become like a child, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. as as, As long as you maintain that posture of, I know best... And through my own resources, I can figure this thing out. As long as you maintain that kind of independent kind of posture, it will remain hidden from you in that sense. It's plainly out there. It's not hidden in a Gnostic sense. It's plainly out there. But if you insist, no, I will figure this thing out. Out of my own resources, I will get this. You won't. Because it's God's gracious will to reveal this mighty message to those who are willing to say, Lord, I'm not going to get it <laughs> by my own ingenuity. I need you to help me. What, what you think? might think, why, why? Here's why. Because one of our biggest problems is human pride. And God needs to remove that out of our foundation so that we can build without that in the foundation. Because you build a human pride in the foundation, it just doesn't work. So it's really important that we allow the Lord to just deal with that. It's hard stuff. It's not that God's got a problem with human intellect or anything like that, but it's, it's this I can figure it out pride thing. God looks to undermine that. So then he goes on to say that it's been so a mystery of his will which has been set forth in Christ, which is basically saying this. If, you want to be in, if you're interested in God, if you have any interest in what God is about, then the only way you can come into that is through Christ. 
that Christ has been established as the chief steward in the household of God. Everything in the heart of God is dispensed in and through Jesus Christ. So you cannot come to uh, genuine spiritual revelation outside of Jesus Christ. Because he is over God's household. In fact, God says in Psalm 2, I have established my king on my holy hill. God, is, God loves his son. God loves this wonderful, eternal word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. God has established him as king. And God insists that all that he will do, he will do through him and for his glory. And so it's only as we again line up with that that we begin to come into what God is doing. Um, contrary to popular belief, there aren't many roads to God. There's one. The Lord Jesus Christ. But in him are more riches than you would hope to find in a thousand roads to God. It's not, it's not disappointingly narrow. It's, it's, it's incredibly, oh my goodness, in just him, but look what opens up. That's, that's the idea. He's just so sufficient. The Bible says all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. All the treasures. So, you know, you can, you know, anything that you might discover through your whole life of exploration, not, not that that is wrong, but in him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. Which means an eternity with Jesus Christ is an eternity plumbing the depths of everything. Wow. If you're like me, if you're a bit of a geek, you'd have a documentary. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. That doesn't mean don't watch documentaries. It just means this. Know this. There are riches in Christ that are unsearchable, the Bible says. You can plumb them forever. So, it's been, so, there's a, so God, in his, God has given us wisdom and insight in Christ so that we might know the mystery of his will which he has set forth in Christ. Okay, we're getting there, we're getting there. We're, we're, you still with me? Okay, which then says... Uh, Verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time. Now, verse 10, listen to what Martin Lord Jones says about verse 10. He says this, in verse 10, we are taken right up into the heavens and find ourselves looking at God's final purpose with respect to this world. In this verse, we are transported above the matter of our personal salvation into the realm of the ultimate things. God's ground, comprehensive, God, sorry, God's grand, comprehensive, final, ultimate purpose. The human mind can never contemplate anything greater. God gives us no greater privilege than to be allowed to look into this. Get ready. This is verse 10. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Now this phrase, fullness of time, what does it mean? It's a very interesting, very, very important phrase. Because if you read in the Bible, phrases like fullness of time, or the last days, or, 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 or the end of all things, it's referring to the time when the Messiah comes. So in the Old Testament, the day and all of that, it's referring to the time when the Messiah comes. The issue is this, is that no one foresaw that there would be two comings of the one Messiah. No one foresaw that. They thought when the Messiah came, that would be it. Which is why, when Jesus was working miracles, healing the sick, teaching with this incredible clarity and authority, and they realised, he is the Messiah, he's the promised one, he's the Christ. That's why they tried to make him king then and there, and why Jesus, when he saw what they were doing, withdrew, removed himself, because he knew it wasn't the right time, it wasn't the right way. But they didn't understand this whole thing. They just thought, well, he's here, it's the day, the end has come, the fullness has come, the Messiah is here, come on, let's set up the new age 
What he didn't realise was this, was that when Jesus came the first time, number one, he came to proclaim to Israel, your Messiah is here. That's what he came to do and came to announce the kingdom. Then he came to die on a cross, which no one saw coming. That was a complete surprise for everyone except him, even though he predicted it numbers of times. But that was a complete, that really threw everyone. No one, everyone thought at that point that it was all over. But he came to die on the cross because there was this matter of uh, our debt, humanity's debt before God. For our sin, there's this matter of atonement where for thousands of years there have been um, the, the blood of animals shed. But the blood of animal can never atone for the sin of a person. And the Bible teaches that the whole time, as those, as, as those offerings of animals were, were, were ascending to heaven in that sense, that the, the, fa- the reason why the Father was able to forgive back then was because every sacrifice was really like a foreshadow pointing to the sacrifice of his son, the perfect man, who could atone by the worth of his perfect, eternal, divine and human life. By pouring out his life, he could atone for the sins of the whole world. And so Jesus atoned for our sin at the cross. And if you, you should never get bored of that. <laughs> he atoned for our sin at the cross, which means that all the kind of guilt and all the shame and all this sense of I, I could never come into the presence of God or I can never number myself as a Christian or I can never lift up my head or, or, or I'll always live with this burden of shame or my conscience will always be defiled at the cross all of that gets knocked out of the park. All of it. Like, literally, this isn't just like a religious moment where we go, woo woo, and walk out the same. No, like, Monday to Friday, you know, and Saturday, uh, 24-7, where literally we, there is a solution to this situation that our consciences have been defiled by what we've done, that we're not right before God. Through the cross we can be right before God. Because Jesus' blood was spilt on our behalf. Where we can look people in the eye and, be, and come out of hiding and be who we really are. And, and be open about our past and our present. Where we've been and where we are. Why? Because if God accepts us now, through Christ, then surely God's people who are in Christ will accept me as well. And if they don't, it's not actually my problem. You see, the cross is huge. Then there's the resurrection where he rose from the dead, which demonstrates that he was who he said he was. And then the ascension, which in New Testament terms, that's like the coronation. It's like where the king ascends to the throne. So, so the kingdom has come. The fullness of time is here. It is the last days. But then you see, we're, we're, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus has ascended to the throne. And it's clear that things are not all well. And we are waiting for... Jesus to come again. So, actually, we're in quite an unusual time. We, is it the fullness of time? Yes. No. And all the way through the New Testament, you find this tension. So it says things like, death has been destroyed. You find that in 2 Timothy. Death has been abolished, destroyed. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, when Jesus returns, the final enemy, death, will be destroyed. Same word. It's been destroyed, will be destroyed. Now, not yet. That is the tension of the New Testament. And if you only embrace the now, then, when, then you, 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 you set yourself up for a real fall when things go wrong in this life. Because you thought, but I thought it's all here, I thought, no, it's, yes now, but also not yet. But if it's just not, if it's always not yet, then you live with life with such low expectations. 
And what God will do now, you're just holding on for heaven. That's all you did. Your Christianity just resembles holding on for heaven. That's not New Testament at all. New Testament is now, not yet. God give me wisdom. That's New Testament Christianity. So, fullness, so when, when, when Paul is saying that God has given us wisdom and insight to help to make know the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, so what we're about to hear is happening now and will happen fully when Jesus returns. Okay? With me? Great. Doing great, guys. <laughs> then we get this phrase. To unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, what does all things mean? There's huge conversation about this. What does it mean? Some people say it means everyone will be saved at the end. Everyone. Even those who don't call on Jesus, God will find a way in the end to bring everyone together and, and, and save them. As, uh, as happy as that sounds, the Bible is clear that that is not the case. The Bible is just very, very clear time and time again. There is, there is one division that the New Testament keeps a very stark division on all the way through as it brings together male and female, as it brings together Jew and Gentile, as it brings together rich and poor. There's this one division that remains the whole time and it's light and darkness. It's those who will come into the light, which is basically coming to Jesus, come into the light and, and stop hiding, stop justifying ourselves and just say, Jesus, I need you and your mercy. They come to the light and those who go, nah. It's not, about, it's not about who's good and who's bad. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But some come to the light and others say no. And this division remains. And those who choose the darkness, those who say no, I don't want the light of Jesus, who choose the darkness, then God, I guess in an ultimate sense you could say, God will say, your will be done. You have what you've chosen. So it can't, it can't mean that. Others say that it, it means Jew and Gentile, things on heaven and things on earth. Um, it, God will bring together the Jews and Gentiles. Well, actually, Ephesians talks a lot about God bringing together the Jews and the Gentiles. But the Bible never talks about the Jews as some kind of, kind of uh, is fundamentally heavenly and the Gentiles as fundamentally earthly. I, I know we've got, uh, in the, under the old covenant, they were God's chosen people. I, I, I get it. Uh, but there's this, never this phrase used to describe that. That's just, uh, that is a very unhelpful phrase and a very unhelpful way of thinking. It is really not clearly not talking about that some people say it's talking about the saints who have died and have gone into heaven and those who are still alive that at the end the two will be brought together well it's true but it's, it's not big enough it's much more than that what is he talking about when he says all things well the key here is that the word unite has actually about it reunite it has that element in it in the word reunite which is a key word because what it shows is this is something that what we saw of creation before Adam and Eve sinned is what God is going to do through Christ. So before Adam and Eve sinned, we see this incredible harmony between heaven and earth. We see, we see this, this Garden of Eden, which is much like a temple, filled with the presence of God, where Adam and Eve would walk with God in the cool of the day. There's this harmony, this coming together of heaven and of earth, of, of God and humanity, of God and his creation. That, they, that, that, that it wasn't somehow divorced. It wasn't, there wasn't this alienation. It wasn't like the earth and then this kind of strange, distant realm called heaven. But actually, the, God's intention was always that heaven and earth come together fully and that the, the realm of the spiritual and the material dwell in absolute harmony this idea that somehow the, the spiritual is good and the material is bad is not a biblical idea at all if it were if it were then why is God going to give us a physical body to live in forever 
It's not simply just true that when we go to be with the Lord, we're going to shed this tent. That is true, but we're going to be given a house. It's not you're going to shed this tent so you can float. That is not Bible teaching. You're going to shed the tent so you can get a house. A permanent body, one that can dwell fully face to face in the presence of God and live forever. Woo! That's Bible teaching. And so we get this lovely idea of everything coming together. We see at the beginning there was a fall in heaven. We've got the Bible content on it is really, really sketchy. There's not loads about it, but it seems clear enough that there was a fall in the heavenly realm. That one of the, one of the angels, Satan, Lucifer, call him what you will, they rebelled against God and took perhaps a third of the angels with him. We then see that through his temptation there was a fall in humanity. We then see that through them falling into disobedience, that creation came under the curse of futility. The Bible says that through Christ, all of that is going to be undone. All of it is going to be put right. The Bible says that creation longs, it's on, it's on them tiptoes, is the, is the idea given. Waiting, longing for the sons of God, believers, to be revealed. So that creation itself will be liberated into the glory, the freedom of the, of the sons of God. That's what God is doing. And it, it, Now listen, it's so appropriate that he's doing it through Jesus. We're going to end on this. It's so appropriate, all of this is in Christ. Why? Because Jesus is fully and fully, fully God and fully man. In him... In him, we have the coming together of heaven and earth. Remember that unusual story I um, read to you at the beginning? Well, when Jesus calls one of his uh, disciples, um, Nathaniel, in the Gospel of John, he says this, he says, um, Nathaniel's amazed because Jesus seems to have some supernatural knowledge about him that he'd seen him under the fig tree or something. It's a little bit obscure. But anyway, Jesus says, Jesus, listen to this. Jesus said, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. He said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What does that remind you of? Jacob's asleep, he's his dream, he sees the staircase with the angels of God ascending and descending. He says, This is the house of God. Jesus is saying, I'm the house of God. I'm the true house of God. I'm the, I'm the meeting point of heaven and of earth. I'm the fulfilment of that slightly obscure picture. It's all fulfilled in me. And so what we see now in him, we see truly, finally, ultimately, there will be the coming together of all things under him. The true house of God. The true meeting point of heaven and earth. Jesus Christ. Fully God. Fully man. King of glory. Servant King. Crucified Saviour, risen Lord. So I just want to end by saying, firstly, do you know and do you love this? Because <laughs> if you get it and you love it, you must be in Christ. <laughs> you must be a recipient of the grace of God. If some, even if you think, it's just a, it's just a smouldering wick. <laughs> the Bible says that he won't snuff you out. He'll get alongside you and get you going again. If there's something in you that says, I get it, and I love it, you are born again. If you think, I don't, what is he talking about? Then I want to say this to you. Humble yourself and become like a child. And ask that God might reveal it. There's no secret, extra special bits. You've heard it. But the Holy Spirit can make it real in your heart. 
I want to ask those of us that are believers, are you conforming to this? So the whole the idea is, is that all things will be under the headship of Jesus. Are you bringing all that you are and all that you have under his headship? There's something about a 100% heart engagement that all of us can do in the moment. All, it's not a journey to get there. All of us can do that in the moment. Once we've made that heart decision, there is a journey as God reveals what that means over the years more and more. And as he reveals more and more, we, yeah, we gladly line up. And the more and more we come under his kingdom, the more and more we go, this is it. <laughs> this is really it. But I want to call you to 100% heart commitment. Because God, I would say, I, I do believe, God deals, with, God deals with people that say, Lord, I'm in. I don't quite know if God knows quite what to do with the heart that is kind of... I think it's, I'm sure probably God says what Elijah said, which is why do you keep wavering between two opinions? The Lord is God serving. If Baal is or any other God, then serve that. But this limping between two things, don't do it. I want to call you out of that today. It's fruitless. I'm not being harsh or mean, I'm just, it's fruitless. Um, also, I want to encourage you to embrace earth and heaven. Embrace earth and heaven. What, what am I saying? I'm saying, if you're a believer, don't be, don't, be, um, don't be so into heaven, heavenly things, that you just go a bit strange on the fact that you're human. You know, don't try to be more spiritual than Jesus. Yeah, it's not attractive. It's not spiritual, actually. It's just odd. You know, just you can be, you know, the, just being physical is okay. And, uh, you know, the good things that God provides in His grace are okay. And, but more than okay. God made everything it's good. So, yeah, embrace those things. But I'd also say, listen, if you're just somebody, you're really good at embracing those things, but you kind of got that, that mentality of, I'm not really a spiritual type. I want to call you to become a spiritual type. Don't, don't resign yourself to that. Why would you want to resign yourself? Why would you want to be that? Why would you? Why? <laughs> We're being conformed to the image of Jesus. Read the Gospels. Look at how he's, he's enjoying the food. He's making the disciples breakfast. He's doing all that. He's got a reputation as a glutton and a drunkard because he's, he's in the thick of normal life with normal people. But boy, look at, look at the influence he has. Look at, look at his devotion to getting time to pray as well. That's what he wants for us. And then finally, I just want to end with this. I just felt the Holy Spirit stir me with this idea that there's just numbers here today. And it's like, it's like I, don't know, I don't know why, but you're on the margins. You're on the edges. It's like you're looking in. And sometimes, you know, that's bad experiences. And, you know, th- th- things go on. Trust me, I know. Things go on in churches. Uh, and, and spiritual movements that, you know, bad things do happen and I, I totally understand. But I just felt the Holy Spirit today really wanted me to just call some of you in off the edges and say, if this is God's ultimate purpose, well, I've, I've written my notes somewhere, get with the program. And I thought, well, is that, is that harsh? Is that, is that what you say to someone when you're telling them off? Is it? Get with the program? Is it? Okay, right. So I thought, well, I don't think that, that, I wouldn't, that, I didn't get that sense. It wasn't like a rebuke. But it was like, that's what God's doing. Why would you be in anything else? This is where it's going. Right? So we get, God has given you the wisdom and the insight to see it, to love it, and to be involved. So I just feel like, I want to on behalf of God, I guess, just say, come on. 
And then you must say, well, what, what, what do I do? <laughs> well, it's, maybe it starts in the next 20 minutes. When we sing and break bread, you just say, Lord, I don't want to be on the margins anymore. Uh, and, and you just entrust yourself to him. And we know he's a great shepherd and he'll lead you. And there'll be decisions that you make, I'm sure, that they're just them coming out of the heart of saying, Lord, I don't want to be on the edges anymore. I want to trust you again. I don't want to be self-protecting, you know. Because you end up just, where does it go? You've got to keep putting yourself out there with God. And trust that if you get hurt, well, you know, he will bring healing. Otherwise, you just end up, the whole time, you're just encased. So come on in to the party. Amen?